Now, it has housed the most expensive building in Irish history. It's at the centre of everything for thousands of years, from monks to Cromwell, famine, every major Irish war, standoff between Churchill and de Valera, the riot of the joy riders of the 1980s. Spike Island in Cove is one of the country's greatest and newest visitor attractions. And we're meeting a man now who's in love with the place. John Crotty, good morning to you. Morning, Oliver. How are you doing? You are you're the former CEO of Spike Island. Yes, indeed. I uh, joined there in 2016, just mm. as it was opening up to the world. And uh, what were you doing before that? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, Joe, I actually lived in the UK for 11 years previously. Oh. Um, I'm from Capraquin, County Waterford initially, yeah. but I uh, spent a happy 11 years in the UK, uh, travelling the world, seeing visitor attractions and the world wonders, and was lucky enough to come back and find one here on my doorstep. That's like a kind of a Paddington adventure you've been on there. <laughs> Have you always been uh, fond of heritage and history then as a child? Unbelievably, yes. You know, I come from a, a bit of a family in the Dacia that would love the stories and oh, yeah. would love the, the, the fantasy and the folklore. So lots of uh, passionate past. Yeah, and you're not too far away from Lismore over there in Capaquin and all that's kind of a magical place, isn't it, over in West Waterford? It is. Oh, listen, proper Ireland. <laughs> the Blackwater Valley, is that what it is? is exactly. The, the River Bride and all that. Now, for people who haven't visited, uh, going to Spike Island is one of the coolest things, isn't it? Because you can only reach it by boat from Cove. Yeah, it's an adventure as soon as you set off. You know, the minute you step on that boat, you're travelling back 1,300 years through Irish history. So it really does transport you somewhere else. And it, 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 in many ways, it's the best way to see Cove, isn't it? From the water, looking back at all the Victorian landscape of the place. It, a cove is such a beautiful spot spot these days, Oliver, isn't it? It's got that gorgeous yeah. cathedral, you know, finished around 1920. It just looks like a really special piece of Ireland. So when you land then on this uh, kind of haunted place, because it's lined with trees and there's kind of derelict buildings along the side of it, um, uh, and there's so many layers of history, it's almost difficult to know where to begin. But it, we, we know it begins life more or less as a monastery, is that correct? Yeah, certainly. I mean, the first recorded use of the island goes back to 635 AD. Uh, that's when some mysterious monks from led by a gentleman uh, landed on the island and effectively they've set up a monastic outpost that we think might have lasted as much as a thousand years. You know, a really rich tradition going on there. Uh, And because when you land there, you're getting walked through this history. The first thing that greets you is the fortress. So from the time of the monks, what is the next kind of interesting period in the history of Spike? It saw a lot of use by smugglers and pirates, which is quite fascinating, as did all of Southern Ireland. Uh, They were all kicked out of England around the 1600s and they decided Ireland was the place to set up shop. So yeah. absolutely, people living on the island would have had the quite spectacular sight of pirate ships sailing past on a fairly regular basis. And then the wars get underway, basically. This is it. The American Revolution is what kicks it all off. Uh, in 1779, a first fortress was built on the island mm-hmm. and that actually started over a 206-year military occupation. So that's just continued right through from the British into the Irish time. And when you're on the island, it's, it's kind of, although it's a small island, it's a huge piece of land. It is. It's 104 acres. You know, it's quite difficult to see it all in one go. And I think a lot of people are surprised when they land there to, to realise that. But you, you understand that depth of history and how it could be reused in so many different ways. And, and it's a, the fortress that they built there. The most expensive building in Irish history, you reckon? Yeah, I, do, I cannot find comparison, Oliver. I've been doing a lot of research on this. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you're into the territory of billions upon billions to get this to the state it is today. Now, of course, they used a lot of convict labour. They even used dynamite. They were cheating at times to blow out parts of the island so they could speed up the work. Oh, right. But absolutely, an enormous construction. You know, there were thousands of labourers over an army of about 100 horses living on the island. 
And so how long roughly, when, when is the fort built and how long did the Brits, uh, the military presence stay there? Sure, they arrived in force, if you like, in 1804. Uh, the fortress you see today is uh, started in 1804. Yeah. They would not give it up, as you mentioned earlier. Yeah. Uh, 1922, we got our, most of our country back, but we certainly didn't get Spike Island. Uh, Winston Churchill fought tooth and nail to hold on to this location because he had actually visited in 1912 and he knew how important this location was. Oh, yeah. So 1938 before we got it back. I want to just jump back into the 19th century because one of the most uh, kind of atmospheric parts of the tour is when you go into those older prisons and you're faced with the accommodation of people in the in that kind of period of the middle of the 19th century around the time of the famine and so on. Yeah, it's an unbelievable period in Irish history, Oliver. You know, as if the famine isn't reminiscent enough, but the idea that they built the largest prison in the world to house those poor famine victims. Yeah. So they were victims twice over. They were victims of a cruel famine, but they were also victims of, by being punished for trying to stay alive and just uh, having food and being sent to a prison island. What was their life like there? Horrific for the first seven years, certainly. You know, a really difficult place to live. Uh, to, to put it into numbers, there was about 2,400 crammed into the prison. Uh, the death rate was around 12%, would you believe, in the worst yeah. year. You know, an astonishing number. 1,300 prisoners now lie in unmarked graves on the island. You know, if one prisoner died in the care of the state today, there would be uproar, rightly so. Yeah. You know, back then, there was almost 300 a year. Nearly a prisoner a day was dying at one stage. And the story is beautifully told. We have passages of diaries and so on, uh, m many of them children. Uh, yes, tragically. I mean, the youngest on Spike Island was a, a poor child named David Doran. He was just 12 years of age. Would you believe he stood four foot, three inches tall when wow. he was marched up the hill? You know, what an awful sight that would have uh, would have looked like. Uh, we actually have a 15-year-old as well from your neck of the woods, from County Monaghan. Oh, yeah. Yes, uh, Michael Brennan was his name. Uh, he was arrested and tried in Monaghan and he came to the island before he'd been sent off to Australia. Uh, he was sentenced to seven years transportation. He was totally innocent, can I? I just say. <laughs> Absolutely, totally. So we actually have a namesake as well, Oliver. We have a John Callan from oh, County... Right. Yes, uh, John Callahan from County Manahan was 21 years of age when he was arrested in 1849 and also sent our way. Uh, another, another innocent, uh, another. Listen, <laughs> as they all ninety nine percent were at the same. But in fairness, they were obviously been tried for for crimes that wouldn't be crimes anymore in a lot of cases. But there was a lot of um, penal colonies were were the destination for a lot of people who ended up in Spike. Yes, absolutely. I mean, the majority arriving in the early days were being sent to the likes of Australia. You know, before that, they were being sent to the Caribbean, to Bermuda. Uh, you know, it, it was a long-standing thing, going right back to the time of Cromwell from the mm. 1600s, right through huge numbers is being sent. So Cromwell is kind of the first to, to turn it into a prison? He is, absolutely. So it was actually Oliver Cromwell in the 1600s, of course, who, who was so successful in what he did. He yeah. had more, more prisoners than he could handle. So the solution was come up where they would transport. Uh, they actually termed it sturdy vagabonds uh, that could be sent out of the country uh, to f populate the colonies overseas. That's a good name for an indie band down there, isn't it? Sturdy <laughs> vagabonds. That's <laughs> one way to happen. Uh, so you, you move on from the famine then, obviously it becomes a very important place around uh, the time of revolution in 1916. It does and it is connected to 1916 and that it held uh, the prisoners from the uh, there was a plot to smuggle arms into Ireland you've yeah. probably heard of the Odd the gun running ship yes. uh, they held the crew of the Odd on there and uh, Austin Stack and Con Collins a couple of co-conspirators but if you fast forward just a few years uh, the island actually became the largest prison holding uh, the Irish Republicans who were engaged in the Irish War of Independence Amazing. so you kind of have a five year stretch there where it was heavily involved but of course it was a British 
British military base during all this time. So it saw use during World War One as well. Uh, I just vaguely remember something on the tour about a fire in one of the blocks around this period as well. Yeah, there's a great story there that allegedly there was going to be an audit in the accountants on a Friday morning Mm -hmm. and mysteriously a fire broke out in the accountants office the night before and unfortunately it seemed to have got out of hand and burned the entire block to the ground. Amazing. And there's a good story about hurling as well, isn't there, out in the exercise yard? Uh, There is, tragically so. You know, Patrick White uh, from Mealick in County Clare, he was playing hurling on the, uh, the ground and the slitter went out of bounds. As he went to retrieve the ball, he was shot dead in front of his prison mates. You know, a, a brutal act and nobody could understand why, yeah. but it, it came to light a few days later. There had actually been a bombing in Yall that killed a number of British troops and the belief is that the story made its way back to the British base. You had a young private who was angry about this. He had friends killed in the bombing and he took revenge on poor Patrick when he saw an opportunity. God, the stories are just unbelievable. Uh, around independence then, what happens when Ireland becomes independent in 1921? Well, it be, uh, really the island got caught up in that debate, if you like. Mm-hmm. Uh, Winston Churchill had a bee in his bonnet. He was worried about uh, defence when losing Ireland. He was a military man. You have to remember he was head of the Admiralty, so it was high on his agenda. Uh, he fought tooth and nail with the likes of Michael Collins to hold on to it, and he was successful in 1922. So, of course, uh, Spike Island remained a British outpost for the next 17 years, but uh, the topic was back on the agenda in January 1938, and he lost out the second time round. Uh, Valera secured the release of the island and a wonderful day was had in July 11th when uh, the island was handed back to Ireland. So it's kind of like the newest part of, of independent Ireland in a sense, isn't it? It is, yes. There were three treaty ports and Locksville came after, uh, you know, so very much one of our youngest parts and it's another rich part of the story. It was a little like Italian 90 back in the 1930s for, for the Irish. Yeah. Something to celebrate, something to uh, cheer on in a country that hadn't really had much to yeah. celebrate in its initial decades. What's really cool about Spike as well, you have all of this rich history of, of the period you talked about, Cromwell, the famines, the War of Independence, but then you come right up to the 80s and people remember 1985 and what happens as a modern prison that Spike Island had become. Yes, I mean, it was only open a matter of months and an enormous riot broke out. Uh, over 100 prisoners, the vast majority held on the island, got out of their cells. Uh, they started torching the place. You know, there were fires. The the prison officers were chased out of the fort. Uh, very sadly, the residents, there was still about 100 people living on the island. Yeah. They had a horrific experience, you know, chased out of their homes, running for a boat that they then saw depart because they were worried there were prison officers on the boat yeah. who would be attacked. So they then had to walk back to their homes but the prisoners didn't touch them in any way thank God they were quite understanding so you know an epic night in the island's history and one that had uh, really consequences that resonate to this day of what consequences are they? Well, sadly, parts of the fort were burnt down, of course. You know, mm. there was a significant damage done. There were talks of closing the island as a prison. But, you know, there were later talks a couple of decades later about turning the island into a super prison, you know, making it one of the largest prisons in the land once again. But yeah. the people still remembered that riot and the difficulties in getting reinforcements out there and trying to deal with it. So it was decided, really, island prisons, they sound like a great idea. They're really not. Yeah. And it's... um. It's, it's, 
it's just it's really well told that story. As I say, you're jumping from decades to decades, but the prison pretty much looks as pretty much as it was in the 1980s. It does, and unbelievably. And you mentioned earlier, we you know you can still go to the original 1850s prison cells. Yeah. So you know what a wonderful thing we have in Ireland that you could start your visit off by going to the 1850s cells, but you can actually end your visit in the 2004 cells. Yeah. And you've seen the contrast there, Oliver. You're going from the dark cells. You know they were chained to the walls for 23 and a half hours a day right. up to the modern cells where you could watch television you know you had uh, you had a TV you had a video a little I won't say more relaxed if that's not the right term yeah. but certainly not as penal as it once was uh, You're really taken by the place aren't you but you're not the CEO anymore you did, you did your years and I did, yes. I moved on now and you know, in part I felt I've actually got a book on the subject coming out, Oliver. Very and it, it almost would have been impossible to finish those works uh, yeah. while still there. You know, I've almost had to step outside of it to really appreciate it, see what it is and get the time now to get those works finished. And uh, so it's owned by Cork County Council, isn't it? It thing? is, fortunately. So you look now it's preserved. You know, it's going to be saved for future generations, which is very important. You know, they're undertaking works now that will maintain it and ensure everybody has it. What I really, what I mentioned at the start there is that the, the houses that you greet along the edges of the island as you come on the boat are really haunting looking. But they were just, um, they were they were just abandoned in 1985, quite recently. Even though it looks like they could be there a hundred years empty. Yes, they were again. Another consequence of the riot is the reality that you had about 200 years of a commu- an island community at that stage, both British and Irish. Of course, the Irish took over the fort in 1938, so the Irish families moved into those homes. And it's a real tragedy that one of the consequences of the riot is that they were literally told they had to leave the island. They had houses bought for them in Cove and effectively forcibly evicted a very reluctant to parties. The island attracts a lot of ghost hunters. It does, yes. There's a fabulous after dark tour. If you haven't done it, Oliver, you have to get down. Of course, during the daytime, there's families on the island. They can't really go into the, too much of the detail of the hauntings yeah. or even the murderers. But if you go there at night time for the night tours, you can uh, really get into the nitty gritty. You get more of a grown up's spooky experience. Absolutely. And, and some incredible stories there. I'm just reading here on Cork BO this morning that um, yeah, the, the, two, the new twilight tours for the summer season are starting from the 14th of July. That's this week, all the way into August. And so that's after night where you generally can't because it's generally empty the island at night time. There's no Exactly. It's wonderful to have the place to yourself. You know, it's very mysterious. It's very quiet. You know, you have to remember there, there's no cars on the island. There's nobody living there. There's no dogs. There's no cats. You know, it's an incredibly peaceful place. So even more so at night time. Uh, just getting some text in here on it. Uh, people talking about how Churchill was really angry and deeply regretted hanging back, handing back Spike Island and Cork Harbour in 1938. And when war broke out, Cork Harbour would have been invaluable in the war effort against the Nazis, especially providing a naval presence to defeat the U-boat menace. Vital convoys carrying life-saving supplies across the Atlantic were being sunk on a massive scale by German U-boats. Um, and that's from Tom Blake and Rathfarnham, who's in touch with us. So World War II is a very interesting period for the island. It was massively so. And, you know, it's incredible to think that the Irish troops who were manning that island genuinely didn't know if there was going to be an invasion by Germany or by Britain because as you say you know, the rhetoric coming from the likes of Churchill was so powerful he was even suggesting that he would take it back by force if necessary if he deemed it you know, required so those poor Irish troops you know, looking out across the harbour were wondering right who are we yeah. going to be dealing with today? <laughs> not exactly well equipped for the, no, the task at hand No not quite Delighted to hear John Crotty he's a lovely man Hi to John from all at Spike Island Spiced Rum 
<laughs> yes, would you believe there's a brilliant uh, connection there. <laughs> of course, we used to hold prisoners on the island that were being sent to the Caribbean in oh, the 1600s. Yes. Now the rum that's been made in the Caribbean has been sent back to be hand-spiced in Ireland. So a lovely little connection there. That is very clever marketing, you have to say. John Crotty, it's fascinating. We're looking forward to your book on Spike Island out next year, hopefully. Yes, looking early in the year, probably February, March. Lovely stuff. Thanks a million and good luck to you. Thanks so much, Oliver. Tonight with that. Thanks. We'll come back after this. 